Uh, let's get into that, actually, while we're at it. Uh, open your Bible and turn to the book of Acts, chapter number 3. A little more stage light there, Jennifer, if you don't care. Acts chapter 3. Thank you. Man, great song. That just makes you, that just puts everything in perspective, don't it? Amen. What, what bothered you this morning when you woke up on your way to church and you're thinking, oh, I've got this bill or this sickness or that? What is it that bothers you and weighs on your mind heavy right now can all pretty much be eliminated with that one thought? Amen? That one day Christ will say, well done, good and faithful servant. All right, I trust you found it. Acts chapter 3. And um, I want to read verse number 19. It's actually one sentence. I'm going to read verse 19 through 21. It's two verses there, but it's actually one sentence. And I want us to see what Peter is saying in this one sentence. Let's read it. I'll pray, and then I'll kind of give some background here. Peter simply says, Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. And I want to talk about three words that we read in that one sentence, repentance, refreshing, and restoration. Bow with me this morning. Father, I come before you as a, as a human being. I am just a man. There's no extra spiritual value to me whatsoever, Lord. I, I need your grace as much as anybody does. And today I come before you and ask for your anointing of the Holy Spirit, that you can speak this word that you have placed in my heart and in my spirit and speak it through me in a way, God, that will touch every person here today. Put everything, put all of life into perspective for all of us today. Be glorified again. Let your word have its perfect, perfect work in all of us. I pray in Jesus' name. Everybody give me a big shout of amen. 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 Look at your neighbor and say repent. Amen. That was, that was weak. You guys are a bunch of wimps. Now, all right, so basically the background to this scripture, we find in the beginning of this chapter where, and you know the story, if you've been to Sunday school any at all, you know the story, uh, where Peter and, and John were on their way into the temple. They were going to church, on their way to pray. And on their way to church, they see a beggar sitting by the, the gate of the church, and he's, well, begging. And this man's been crippled his entire life. He couldn't work. He couldn't walk. Somebody had to carry him and lay him by the gate. And his living, I mean, basically, if he was going to eat, it was only going to be, the only way he was going to eat, eat is if somebody was kind enough to give him some money that day. You know the story, Peter and John, they go by and they see this man and, and the spirit prompts Peter and he goes over to the guy and he said, I don't have any money to give you, but what I do have, I give it to you in the name of Jesus Rise up and walk. And so, so through Peter, Jesus touches this guy, and a great miracle takes place. The guy, his ankle bones and his legs and his feet immediately receive strength, and he stands on his feet, and he does what I can imagine any crippled person who's walking for the first time would do. He cut a shine. I mean, he just cut a jig all over the place. And so everybody that it was, you know, everybody that, that knew this guy, that was been in and out of the church many times and they had seen this guy, they knew he was crippled and now they're watching him run on new feet. And so it obviously stirred everybody's curiosity. 
And so they come around, they're like, man, what is, how, how did this happen? And everybody's trying to figure out what's going on. Somebody says, well, it was that guy over there. And he points at Peter. It was that guy. He healed him. And so they all go to Peter, and they're, you know, they're wondering, how did you have the power to heal this guy? And so Jesus stops them in their tracks and said, look, don't look at me as though I have any extra power. Peter says, I'm, I'm just a man. I don't have the power to heal this guy. But it's through, the faith, through faith in the name of Jesus that this guy is healed. And so that's got their attention. So he begins to explain to them, okay, God sent his son Jesus into the world. And by the way, you killed him. Okay? You crucified him. You uh, put him on the cross. And God had sent him to you. But Peter says, here's the good news. It kind of had to happen that way. Jesus had to die for your sins. And he he gives them, I'm not going to go into all the details, but he gives them the, the plain and simple gospel. So let's back up to verse 17 now. He says, and now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance and did also your rulers. In other words, you crucified Jesus, but you didn't realize what you were doing. And then now even what Jesus said as he hung on the cross, Father, forgive them for they they don't realize what they're doing. He said, you did it in ignorance. And that's that's the way sin starts. We all are born into sin, okay? The Bible says the, the heart is abundantly wicked. Who can know it, okay? So we're, we're, we're born into sin, and we sin for a while, while ignorantly. Uh, we don't realize that what we're doing is sin. But there comes a point where we then have to repent. Paul put it like this, and you don't have to turn there, but this is in Acts chapter 17, um, Verse 30 says, the times of ignorance God overlooked. The King James says God winked at. Uh, But now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, which is speaking of Christ. So God winks at our sin for a while. We're ignorant and we don't realize what we're doing is sin. And there's a period where God, he said, winks at that. But there comes a point where God says, it's time to deal with that. Look at it like this, okay? When, When you have a, a little kid, and he's a year and a half old, okay? And you've got, a, you know, you've got company over in the house, and this little year and a half old boy comes streaking through the living room buck naked, okay? Everybody looks at each other, and we, you, know, you kind of smile, and you wink. You know, I mean, it's obviously it's not good to run amongst uh, you know, company naked, but you just, he don't know, he doesn't realize what he's doing, he's ignorant, so you just kind of wink at that, and you, you give him a pass because he's a little kid. But now if he's 16 years old and he does that, you're going to treat the situation a little different, right? I mean, you're going to bring the hammer down at that point. You're going to say, man, you, you're old enough to know better than this, right? So there, there's, a, there's that line. And so that's what Peter ultimately is saying to this crowd. And what Paul ultimately was preaching was that you sinned ignorantly. You didn't realize what you were doing, as we all do. There comes a point, though, where God says, okay, here's what the truth is, okay? Now let's deal with that sin. So the word repentance literally means this. This is right out of the dictionary. Turning away from sin and turning back to God. What was the key word in that sentence? Turning, right? Turning away from sin and turning back to God. A feeling of regret for past sin that brings about a change, a change of mind, and a fundamental change in a person's life, the way you view life. Your whole worldview changes once you've repented and that feeling of regret for your past sins. And more importantly, it brings about a change in your relationship with God. So what's the key word there? Change, right? He's calling, God's calling for repentance. So if you think about it, every single New Testament preacher, every one of them, preached repentance. 
Okay, start with, in the beginning of the New Testament, start with John the Baptist. He comes up and he preached to the crowds that would come, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Ultimately, Jesus is coming, and so you need to, you know, be sorry for your sins and ask God to forgive you. You need to get all that stuff out of the way. Repent and be ready for the Lord's coming. John the Baptist goes in prison. Jesus comes along. What does he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Then Peter comes along and preaches repent. Then Paul comes along and preaches repent. And so there's a pattern established in the New Testament that I believe is intended for every single preacher from this moment in Acts to the time that Jesus returns, there's a pattern for every preacher to follow in which we should recall people to repentance. We're not, we're not, Jesus didn't die on the cross of Calvary so that I could call you into church membership, that I could call you into church programs. He calls us to repentance in which there's a moment that our life, whole life pursuit pivots. I'm going in this direction, which is the wrong direction that leads to destruction. And in a moment, when I confess to Christ my sin and I repent, now I'm going this way. Am I perfect now? No, not at all. But I'm at least going the right direction now. That's what repentance ultimately calls us to do. Unfortunately, it's not a topic that, uh, that's, that's that popular in church circles today. It's avoided a lot, in fact. Watch, and I'm not saying, I'm not trying to paint with a broad brush, but maybe watch TBN for a day and see how many times the word repentance comes up. You probably won't hear it that much. We've, we've kind of Americanized the gospel to the point where we've made the gospel more about us than we've made it about Jesus, amen? We've kind of, you might look at it like this, we've kind of relented rather than repented, amen? We've kind of abandoned that, that first, that true gospel that ultimately, do you realize that when Peter stood up on the, day, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the church really first got started, you know how many people got saved that day? 3,000 people got saved in one church service because a man stood up with the power and the anointing of the Holy Ghost and said, look, guys, you, you crucified Jesus. Your life's going in the wrong direction, but, but he died for you, so just repent and turn back to God. And that's where life changes for all of us, amen? It's a good thing. Oh, my goodness, it's a good thing. The main ingredient for repentance is the admission of guilt, and that's usually what trips us up. Um, it requires humility, and I mean, let's face it, humility, being humble is not exactly, uh, you know, it's not, not exactly something that the human race specializes in, okay? We're prideful at heart, but repentance calls us to admit guilt to sin and just being wrong and wanting now to be right. Repentance is more than just a, it's, it's more than just feeling like a heel. You know, here's the thing. Does everybody know what conviction is? If you don't know what conviction is, let me explain it to you real quickly. Conviction is the feeling you have when we're singing a song like, How Great Thou Art, or Well Done. And, or if a preacher's preaching a message about repentance, preaching a message about heaven and hell, and so on and so forth. And this feeling you get of uneasiness where it's a feeling of guilt. And you realize, I'm not right with God. And you get squirmy in your soul, and you get squirmy in your seat. It's just this uneasy feeling that I'm, I'm not right with God, but I need to get. And so we as humans, do, do we as humans like that feeling? No, we hate it. We hate conviction. So what we, we have one or two choices when we're confronted with conviction. We either run from it or we run to it. Amen? 
A lot of times, and in most cases, people run from it. I don't like this. You know, I was fine before I came in here. Life was good. I did what I wanted to. I was a little worried about the future, but I could just kind of forget about that and drown it out, let life drown out the thoughts. But, but now I'm having to deal with the fact that I don't know God. And it brings about conviction, so a lot of people run from it. But the purpose of it, conviction is a great thing. It's a tool that God uses to bring us to him. How many of you know that you have to know you're having a heart attack before you can go in for open heart surgery? Right? I mean, it doesn't make sense. Nobody goes in in perfect health and says, I think I need open heart surgery. No, it's something, you know something's wrong and you have to go in and admit, I, I need some attention here. So it's more than just feeling like a heel and feeling bad for your past sins. It's about, it's about the refreshing that your soul brings once repentance comes. Amen? That's what Peter is saying to these people in this one sentence. Repent that the times of refreshing may come. You want to be able to take the first deep breath you've taken since this service started? Repent. Just turn to Jesus. Amen? You want to, you want to get the best night's sleep you've had in a long time? repent. It's refreshing. It's a cleansing of the soul where we just admit to God, God, I'm a, I'm a sin. I remember before I got saved, nights were miserable. I would go to bed and I would just sit there and think about, oh, what if the Lord comes? I was just miserable all the time and I couldn't sleep. But whenever, I'll never forget, after I got saved, I'll never forget that first night's sleep. I remember laying down, putting my head on my pillow and thinking, I don't have to worry about this anymore. <laughs> Man, it's great. How many of you are just glad to be saved this morning? Hallelujah. I highly recommend it. It's not just about cowering before an angry God. It's about having a reunion with your heavenly father. There's a difference. There's a huge difference. Your heavenly father that is constantly drawing us into relationship with him. It's not, repentance is not about being sorry you got caught. It's not even really so much about being sorry that your sin has messed up your life and caused you hurt. A lot of people come to Jesus in that moment, and that's good, but true repentance is more than just, oh, man, my sin has hurt me, and now I need God. To... Repentance is really more about my sin has hurt God, right? And, and, and in, order for it really, in order for that to register the way that it's supposed to or the way that it should, we have to have a correct view of God, okay? Our repentance and this is, I mean, if, okay, first of all, those of you that are here this morning and you're Christians, you've been saved for a while that think, okay, he's talking about repentance today so I can take the day off. Uh, not so much, okay? Repentance, it's not just for sinners, man. It's not just for unbelievers. It's for the church, amen? We'll talk about that uh, in, in just a second. But, but maybe if you think to yourself, oh, I know, what all, I know what repentance is all about. Think about this for a second. Maybe you've never thought about it like this before. It's kind of a revelation for me, really. To me, every time I've repented of my sins, I was still the one I was thinking about. Even in my salvation, I was selfish. I want God to fix me, and that's, and that's good. But when you really stop and think about what is your view of God and how does that relate with your repentance, okay? First of all, of course, if you don't believe in God, then you're not worried about, you know, sin doesn't bother you at all, um, which is one reason people claim to be atheists. If you can eliminate God from existence, then you can live however you want to, Okay? If your view of God is that he's kind of a good old boy in the sky and he's kind of a hippie that's easy on, on sin, then you can sin without remorse. I mean, you can just live your life and do exactly the opposite of what the Bible teaches us to do and not feel bad about it. And by the way, that's, that's kind of a very dangerous place to be in, amen? 
Uh, the child of God should have a constant awareness of the words come out of our mouth, the thoughts that go into our, our minds. There should just be, the Holy Spirit is always faithful um, to convict us most of the time, every time if we listen, before we sin, right? So there's this, I know for me, uh, when, you know, if I, because I, listen, I know that I'm going to ruin your opinion of me. I know that you guys think that I'm perfect or I wouldn't be up here preaching and that I, as a preacher, never have, have a reason to repent, Okay, I doubt very seriously you really think that, but if you do, let me, let me correct your thinking. Uh, I probably repent more than any of you, okay? Because whenever, when I do something wrong or I say something wrong and, something, and the Holy Spirit convicts me for that, Dennis, that, that wasn't right. It's just, it's just an automatic thing. God, I'm sorry for that. Not because I feel like God just marked my name out of the book of life. Not at all. I didn't just lose my salvation and have to start all over. That's not it. It's just that I want to do what's pleasing in the eyes of God. I mean, he died for me for a purpose, that I might be free from my sin. Amen? So there's just kind of a natural, God, I'm sorry. It just comes, it flows, it's as natural as breathing. If, our, if your view of God is that he's this cranky, unappeasable tyrant, then you give up resisting sin because you think, well, there's, there's, no, there's no use. I can't please him. Do you know, now, here, now listen to me. Uh, any Pharisees in the crowd, you'll want to listen very carefully before you judge me on this comment. The fear of hell by itself is not a deterrent from sin. What do I mean? The knowledge that hell exists, and it does. I, it wouldn't be right for me to get up here and try to pretend that it don't. Hell exists. And those who reject Jesus Christ go there for all eternity. I didn't make that up. That's just the Bible. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you that. But the fear of going to hell by itself is not enough to keep people from sinning. It's just not. Uh, look at it like this. The fear of death wasn't enough to keep Adam and Eve from sinning. Adam and Eve in the garden, perfect life, never felt pain. Everything is just perfect in life. And God says, look, you have everything you ever want. You'll never hurt for a thing. Uh, you'll live for eternity as, as long as you don't eat this fruit. If you eat this fruit, you will die. Now, you would think just the knowledge that that sin will bring death would have been enough to keep them from eating of the fruit. But did it? No. And just the knowledge of hell isn't by itself not enough to keep a person from sinning. Didn't me. I was raised in church. I knew about heaven and hell. And there was a period when I wasn't living right. When I got away from God, I thought about hell a lot. I really did. I think, oh, man, this is going to, I knew what I was doing was wrong, and I knew that it was going to send me to hell, but I did it anyway. Makes no sense. I'm probably a slower learner. You probably didn't have that struggle. I, I think the Bible talks to, uh, calls it the, the mystery of iniquity. Why do we sin? We don't know, right? It doesn't make any sense. But just knowing that hell exists, just, just by itself is not enough. So I don't stand up here and tell you, you need to repent or you're going to go to hell. That's not enough. To make you repent. Maybe for a minute. Get you scared enough to come to the altar. That's not my tactic. I don't believe in that. Here's what I think. I think we have, an have to have an awareness of hell. Don't, no doubt about that. But I think that our coming to God th should be out of a response to God's love. Not, not just out of fear. Not just because, oh, I don't want to go down. I think that if our view of God is that he is a holy and pure, a majestic, caring, loving, good God, and he always has our best interest at heart, then you're naturally going to be sorry for sinning against 
a God like that. Does that make sense? A God that keeps loving you no matter how much you've sinned against him? He's perfect. He's holy. He loves me. He died for me. I just want to live for him. Amen? That's the kind of response that God is looking for when it comes to repentance, not just fear for judgment that is, that is to come. Amen? In uh, 2 Corinthians 7.10, says, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation. Godly sorrow. Just simply being sorry for the sins that I've committed. Amen? It's really the only thing God has ever looked for from mankind. Just somebody that will humble themselves enough to say, God, I've messed up. No matter how old you are, young person, up to the oldest person, it's, it's just an admission of guilt. What does God ask for? More than just a confession. That's all he's been after. In the garden, Adam, did you eat from the tree? Did he ask him that question because he wasn't real sure what was going on and he wanted to find out? God knew he ate the tree. What was he looking for? He was looking for a confession. In Ezekiel, you don't have to, you don't have to turn there, but in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 30, God says, therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his ways. In fact, that whole chapter is about basically how, you know, we'll all give an account for ourselves. I'm not going to pay for my dad's sin, and my son's not going to pay for my sin. I'm going to pay for mine, he's going to pay for his, and so on and so forth. So he said, I will judge, O house of Israel, according to his ways, declares the Lord. And this is what God says. Repent and turn from all your transgressions or your sins, lest iniquity be your ruin. Sin always leads to destruction. Okay? Now here's, here's a simple fact. And this is, I'm just quoting Jesus here. I didn't make this up. I didn't take a poll. This is Jesus' words. Jesus said that um, many travel the road that leads to destruction. The path is wide, and it's easy, and people go to destruction by the droves, but few there be that find eternal life because they enter at the narrow gate. Why is that? It's because few will, are willing to acknowledge their sin. He said, cast away that sin, or it leads to destruction. Now, here's the part that I like. Cast away from you all the transgression you've committed, and make yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why will you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone declares the Lord God, so turn and live. Look at your neighbor and say, turn and live. Say, if you ain't turned yet, turn by the end of the service, right? So God, and this is, this is back in the Old Testament. This is during the time of the law, where when you sin, you die. And God said, look, I don't get any pleasure out of the death, uh, you know, and, and people judging people. God said, I, I get pleasure out of people who come to me and repent. What you need, he said, is a new heart, a clean spirit, and a new heart. David, if you don't know how to repent, maybe we'll read this here in just a second. But if you don't know how to repent, you think, okay, I know I'm not right with God, and, and, I, and I want to be, I need to be, look up Psalm chapter 51. Psalm chapter 51 is, is David, King David, and he, he repented, that, that guy knew how to repent. He wrote the book, and he put it in Psalm chapter 51, right? And you look at that, and he's just saying simply this. God, my sin is forever before me. I can't get away from it. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I have failed you. But he says to God, he asks God, create in me a clean heart. I need, if you have a, no, nobody would turn. If you had a bad heart, and it was just constantly stopping on you, and somebody, you went to the hospital, and they said, look, we've got this 
perfectly good heart. We can take the bad heart out, put the good heart in, and you'll live for a long time. Most people would, you know, I mean, you would probably take that deal. You're going to take my bad heart out that's probably going to, you know, cause me to die at any minute and give me a good heart. I'll take that deal. And that's all that Jesus is ultimately offering. We all have a bad heart because of our sin. Jesus said, I'll give you a new heart. This is about a change. This is not about performance. This is not about how well you perform as a Christian. How good you do life every day. Let me tell you something. The moment you repent and you turn your heart to God, I wish I could tell you that the sinning just stops. But that wouldn't be a true statement. A lot of people won't come to Christ and they don't repent because they feel like, well, I, I have to get my sinning under control before I repent. That's completely backwards. It don't work like that. I mean, I've got to get this area of my life fit. I know this isn't right in my life. And so once I get this fixed, then I'll come to Jesus. You're making yourself crazy over nothing. That'll never work. That not one place in scripture did God say, I tell you what, you know, I've got my eye on you. Get your act together and then come see me. I mean, never said that. That's not the gospel. We come to God with all of our junk. We just come to God and we repent for all of our sin. And then he begins to do the turning. Repentance is nothing more than you taking, you got to control of the steering wheel of your life. And you're just simply saying, Lord, you drive. I mean, that's literally, repentance is as simple as that. And then what happens is the Holy Spirit begins to do the turning. It's not about you performing and getting it all right. It's taken me a long time to learn that as a Christian. Ain't nobody harder on me than me. God, I'm a work in progress, and every day God is turning me. to See, what happens when you truly repent and you get saved, some things will change immediately. Some things will turn right away. It did for me a lot of things, just turn. I, was just, I could just tell an immediate difference. Other things took a little bit of time. Other things took a little bit of time. He's still, changing. He's still turning the wheel, right? We're just letting Jesus drive. Hallelujah. Letting the Holy Spirit take control of the steering wheel. Getting that new heart. I said a minute ago that repentance isn't just for the unbeliever. It's for, for all of us. So, church, listen carefully to this. This was a revelation for me. In Revelation, <laughs> oddly enough, um, the, first three verse, the first three chapters are uh, letters that, that the Apostle John, he's been banished to this deserted island, but Jesus appears to him there and speaks to him, and he says, look, I've got a, uh, I got a word that I want you to give. There were seven churches in Asia Minor, and he said, I have a word for each specific church, and I want you to, to give them this word, and each one had their own issues. Five out of those seven churches, Jesus called to repentance. Wasn't unbelievers, wasn't sinners, it was the church, right? It was God's people. Five out of seven were called to repentance. And it was just kind of a revelation to me. I thought, you know, if, if five out of seven churches need to repent before God can move, we're in a mess, right? Five out of seven, that's a lot. Five out of seven church, Jesus, what if he looks down at the world and he says, golly, I really, I want to move in that church. I want to move through that church. And there's, there's nothing, there is nothing more 
on the mind of God right now in this day and hour than for lost souls to get saved. There's nothing more important to God than that. That's a true story. That's more important to God. You're important to him and your needs are important to him, so don't get me wrong. But his number one priority is that people get saved, that people come to repentance. The Bible says he's not willing that any perish. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell, but that all should come to repentance, right, and, and turn their heart and life back over to him. And God says, I want to reach people, and I want to use my church to do it, but five out of seven churches don't have their heart right with God. Five out of seven churches have got to have a good repenting service before they can get anything done. That was just an eye-opener for me. Hey, man, repentance brings revival in our, in our soul. Revival brings that refreshing that we were talking about. And that refreshing ultimately brings restoration. It restores our soul. That's what God's looking for from all of us. God said, you know, one of the most quoted verses when it comes to revival is, uh, is second, I think it's 2 Chronicles 7.14 maybe. Where it says, uh, um, see, what does it say? Uh, if my people, I, I knew I'd get it. If my people which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. And here's the part that always stumbles me. And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will heal their land. So what's God looking for ultimately? Repentance. Lord, we have just gotten off track. That was a message to his people, right? Not to the lost world around him. If God's people have a heart of repentance, God, I'm just, I'm not perfect and I know that, but Lord, it's my desire for you to live through me every day. God can do so much through us. God can reach people in your workplace, people in your home, people in your family, which is ultimately what God is looking for. I'm going to close with this. Turn with me in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13, let's start reading in verse number 1. This, this is uh, Jesus here. So there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He answered them, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Shalom uh, fell and, and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So what, ultimately what Jesus is saying is this. I don't compare people, right? I mean, these people come into Jesus and say, man, did you hear about these nasty Galileans? They were so bad that Pilate was killing them and taking their blood and mixing them with their sacrifice. And Jesus says, look, just because they did that doesn't mean that they're worse sinners than you. I mean, you, you might be comforted to know that God does not totem pole us according to our sin. In other words, if you've lived, I mean, whether you've lived a fairly decent moral life your whole life for the most part, or whether you've just lived a horrible, sinful life, we're all sinners in the sight of God. God doesn't say, boy, this one's going to take more work. The work of the cross is sufficient to save every person. So Jesus said, look, it's not about comparing yourself to other people. He said, unless you all repent, you shall all likewise perish. God, Jesus said, I'm calling everybody to repentance. Don't fall into the trap of comparing yourself to other people. You can look at people, maybe you look at church people, people you've seen in church, and you say, my goodness, I've seen the, the way they act outside the church. I'm better than that. If they're going to make it, then I'm going to make it. 
Well, first of all, who's to say they're going to make it? But maybe they will. I mean, you're not their judge and neither am I. People say, well, those hypocrites. Let me, let me just encourage you with this real quick. I'm going to use the word courage, encourage you, because it's, it's really more of a slam. But if I say encourage, then it'll, it'll, it'll rest better, right? So people say, and you might think to yourself, well, those church people, they're just they're hypocrites. They go to church, and then I see them do this and that and something else. And, you know, I ask you the question, are you perfect? Do you do everything right? To which, if you're honest, you would have to respond No. So to judge somebody else for not being perfect, isn't that when you or yourself are not perfect, isn't that, by definition, being a hypocrite? It is. Don't compare yourself to everybody else. Okay? Yeah, they're a hypocrite. They may be the worst hypocrite ever. And there's some. There's, uh, there's, folks, there's a little hypocrisy in all of us. I'll just be honest with you. There's plenty of times in my life, in my walk with God, where, you know, we talk about God speaking to us, and it's not necessarily an audible voice, but it's just, I don't know if you know, know when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you just know he's talking. There's been plenty of times in my life, in my walk with God, where I'd say something, do something, and just, I hear one word in my, in my subconscious, you might say, and I, it's just like the Holy Spirit says, hypocrite. <laughs> I mean, that's like a brick to the forehead. Yeah, I am. So if you're worried about hypocrites, just know that there's one preaching to you this morning, okay? I'm trying my best. I'm striving, but I'm not perfect. And so therefore, I'm not calling you to be perfect. I'm calling you to turn to Jesus, amen? Let him do his work in you. This world's a sinking ship, folks. It is a sinking ship. Jesus is our lifeboat. Repentance is provided for us the grace of God has provided for us, we have a choice to make. We can either ride this ship to the bottom, ride this ship to destruction, or we can just take grace, take the lifeboat, repent, and let Jesus forgive you and save you and change you. It's all our choice. Amen? Now, I know this isn't the... I tried to get out of this message, by the way. Tried to get out of it. It's easier to preach about. I'd, I'd rather preach, you know, well, if you turn to Jesus and, you know, put $1,000 in the offering, pray God, God will make you rich. You know, that'd make you happy, right? But it, how many of you know a lie is still a lie and it can't satisfy the soul? Amen. Jesus is wanting to do a work in his church. He's wanting to do a work in those that don't know him. And I want to see him start that work right here in this service. Amen. Worship team, if you go ahead and come on up. Let me just reason with you for just a little bit. That's what in Ezekiel he said, why don't you just turn and live? I want to, I'm going to make an altar call here. I'm going to make it specific. Everybody hear me. This, this, this altar call this morning, I'm going to make it just specifically for you if God is dealing with your heart about being saved. Okay. You've been thinking about it for a while. Maybe you didn't thought about it, but just today, God's dealing with you. But God is, you know you're not right with God, and you want to get right with God. So let, before I start this whole thing, let me explain to you something. Salvation is not just about an altar call in a church service. We're going to sing a song, 
and we're going to compel you and give you opportunity to come so that we can, we can pray with you and we can guide you and try to answer any questions that you have. But it's, it's about you responding to Christ in your heart. 